This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and I am so grateful to have this place to talk about faith and politics and just big, important ideas in our culture with all kinds of interesting, accomplished folks of goodwill in good faith. And it is an honor to be a part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. And please remember, I always mention this, but it's always worth mentioning again, just subscribe or follow depending on what app you're on. And of course, if you can leave us a great rating and, and write a review, it really does make a difference. All of it helps get the word out so more people can participate in the conversation like we're having today with Janavi Rao and Nivia Krishnan of New Voters. Janavi is the president and founder, and Nivia is the executive director of New Voters, a 501c3 whose mission is to involve students in all aspects of civic life, from registration to education and even emerging technologies. Janavi, Nivia, thank you so much for coming in. How are you doing? Doing good. Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to chat. We love to talk. Janavi and our meetings that we have with one-on-one go upwards of an hour just because we just talk about everything. So excited to have this forum to do that. That's awesome. How about you, Janavi? How are you doing? I'm doing great. Super excited to be here. Uh, and like Navia said, always down to talk probably too much. So excited. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I'm looking forward to diving in. So this is actually more of a technical business-ish question, but I, I've recently got a 501c3 in um, 2020. It is no easy task. I mean, like, not that registering tens of thousands of Gen Zers isn't easy, but like getting your official nonprofit status can be super complicated and stressful, I would imagine. How are you able to get that done on top of, you know, your full-time students and running a full-time organization? How are you able to get all that done? Yeah, so I can I can talk a little bit about this. So basically, um, we can probably talk a little bit more about how New Voters got started later on. Uh, yeah, it's a of course. Whole story. But um, New Voters began when I was a junior in high school. And by the end of my senior year, like the summer after my senior year, we were a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, so this was back in 2018, so like June of 2018. And honestly, um, it it is a testament to how much people should lean on and ask for help from random people because I had just made a friend um, who went to a neighboring high school um, and I who ran a drive with new voters back when we were just a high school club like um, and I was asking around like hey like you know we're getting questions about donations does anyone know anything about how to become a 501c3 and then my friend Emma she was like my dad's a lawyer um, he said he'd be happy to help you and Mr. Sargent was just the best and literally on his own went and like filed for nonprofit status for us. He like paid for all the stuff out of pocket for us to like be put in a newspaper, just like was incredibly kind. Um, and I have, uh, and we like got nonprofit status in like a like record short amount of time in like a few months, like one or two months, honestly. Um, and since then I've uh, been in charge of essentially Make, we do very little, if anything, that could be constituted as political spending. So we're very well below that 
for those of you who might not know, 501c3s cannot spend more than 15% of their time or money on political activities um, that are like for a candidate. So we're well below that. Um, and I figured out how to file our taxes. So oh, wow. um, that was, so my dad helped for a little bit and now uh, we're, we're, we're a pretty low dollar organization right now. So our taxes are very simple to fill out and complete. Um, so it has been, it has been, very much, uh, whenever I talk to high school students who are like, what's your biggest advice? I'm like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Because like, especially if you are young, like if you like when I was like 17 starting new voters, like people were so willing and ready to just like offer their support and like their time and their energy and their money to like support and help us. And that still remains the case even now that I'm 23, um, that people are just so generous if you really ask and especially if you follow up with them. So. So this is just a totally random question, but like, so you, you, you graduated college, you're 23, and, but you said Mr. Sergeant. Do, at a certain point, do you go first name? Do you like drop first name on your, your friend's dad or is it still, is it always going to be Mr. Ooh. Sergeant? <laughs> That's a great, I think it's so funny that you asked that because my brother just started a startup with my dad and well, not just like two years ago. And a lot of the people who work at their company are people that are like my dad's friends that we've known since we were like two. So my brother's out here calling like my dad's friends by their first names. And he calls yeah. my dad by his first name um, now, like almost exclusively. Um, but I, I feel like if someone is like my parents' dad, I'll still say Mr. and Mrs. I've gotten to the point though with like our collaborators who are like professors um, I refer to them by their first name because we have a whole research network that we do. So um, for our collaborators, for the professors that we work with, um, as soon as I graduated from college, I was like, you know what? For anyone that I wasn't already calling professor, um, I have now started to just drop the honorific uh, in speaking. But I still add it in, in emails. So I still I'm in touch with three of my best friends uh, from uh, growing up. And I got out of it by just referring to the, to my friends' parents as Mom Glego, Mom Cohen, Mom, you know, like um, call them Mom and Dad, but by the, with their last name, you know, because it never felt quite right to be like Shelly, Fran, you know. They're still like my my um, you know my uh, adjacent parents in a way, you know. So I also I want to make sure that we talk about the research work that you do. So we'll get into that as well. But Nivia, are you also now? Um, I know that uh, Jonathan, you're you're from Berwyn, Pennsylvania. Are you from that area as well, Nivia? No, I'm from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, like suburb of Phoenix. Oh. yeah. So kind of like bi coastal relationship uh, between me and Jonathan. Oh, okay. So how did you did you meet doing uh, doing new voters together, or how did you how did you all find each other? Yeah, it's a crazy story, actually. Um, it's very, I don't know, I think it, I, so, okay, it started, so my senior year of high school, like March 2020, um, so back end of senior year is when COVID hit, obviously, um, and so everything shut down, and I was alone in my house, and I'd gone from doing a bunch of things, like being so involved in my high school physically, like doing speech and debate, I was in dance, uh, I loved volunteering uh, just in my community, um, shout out Chandler, Arizona, if anyone listening is from there. Uh, unlikely, but, you know, the the odds are there. Um, but anyways, I was trying to find something to do. And it wasn't even, like, someone from 
Harvard, which is where John V went for school, like she was working with some people there to kind of build out new voters while in college. And one of one of those team members friends email like gave that team member my email because I just randomly had reached out to her because she was from Arizona and I she had the scholarship I was interested in. So it was a whole like tangential thing. But I got an email from one of John V's team members at the time. And she was like, do you want to like join this effort to register young people? And I had I had no idea what that meant. I had never done that type of organizing work before. But I loved working with people our age. I'd always enjoyed that, whether it was like debating against them or like just volunteering with them. I found like there's so much I just got so much energy, like just talking to other young people. And so um, I was like, sure. And then. Uh, so I joined as an intern in like April 2020 and uh, just did some designing voter reg guides um, as part of their team. And then that's that's like when I started interning is when I first talked to John V. Like I remember we had like a phone call um, like and I was like, oh, my God, I get to talk to the founder of New Voters. Like That's so cool. Um, I was like so excited. Um, and that was yeah, that was so funny. But it's just crazy to think like how long we've known each other like and to this day like we've met in person one time and it was when I went to DC for a model UN competition through school and this is like last Halloween um and that's when we met each other for the first time but we talk like so often um so it's just been it's been really crazy it's like essentially like a virtual like friendship but it's been like amazing um so I'm very happy that somehow my email got into the new voters like ether and i was able to you're very happy i'm i'm very happy (laughs) that's awesome before we move on i wanted to tell you about something else that's important money (laughs) Uh, specifically your money in all seriousness i wanted to tell you about my advisor and my friend george mesa george runs mesa wealth management And with George, it's not just about money. It's about helping us manage our present and plan for our future. And unlike a lot of other firms out there, George and I actually have a relationship. He knows me. He knows my family. And I know his wonderful family. I also know his firm and the incredible team he's put together from his chief investment officer to some of the other great people in his office, like Jessica, their head of operations that are always there to help me and with all aspects of our portfolio. You see, the thing is, I got a lot going on. I guess we all got a lot going on and I don't have the time to watch our investments all day, every day. And even if I did, I don't have the experience and expertise that George's team collectively has. So we get the entire Mesa Wealth Management team, all their expertise and all their integrity. And again, it's based on George knowing me personally, knowing my goals and even the kind of risk that's appropriate for me to take, which, by the way, could change from one season to the next. And they're on top of all of that. So if you want George Meza and Meza Wealth Management to be on your team, just visit their website, MezaWealth.com. That's M-E-Z-A Wealth.com, www.MezaWealth.com. And that will also be in our show notes, so you can check that. And now, back to our show. So how did you, how did you get started with the organization and how did, how did your and maybe you can both speak to this, but how did you expand your role to now executive director? Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, I started as an intern. And back then, 
uh john you could probably clarify but that was i think when we had like our first team of like national interns so because like new voters really took advantage which i thought was super smart of like trying to make a terrible situation with like everyone being isolated at home into an opportunity to engage young people uh which i thought was brilliant and so that's kind of how i got involved i was in that first cohort of national interns um and from there basically like after a couple months um john v was like we need a development director. Like we need someone to like fundraise for certain things. And it's, again, it's not like I had experience doing that. Um, but I was so like willing to just like take it on. Cause I was like, Oh, okay. I get to learn something new. Um, and so in that capacity, I like ran our development efforts with a team of uh, high school and college interns for a few months. Um, and then it got to like September, 2020, like August, 2020. And, keep in mind like the hallmark our hallmark model is youth voter registration like we train young people to run registration drives and at the time I was sort of like tangentially involved with that but not really because I was just focused on like getting us money um but then I was like I think I also talked to John V uh because we had a conversation about like okay where are our resources being spent as an organization um and we were reflecting on some of like the holes that we saw in our existing model and where we saw some drop off in terms of schools. Um, and so I was like, Oh, or John V was like, Oh, like you should um, like, can you do this? Can you run this like team and like basically get all of our interns, like follow up with all the schools we got to sign up with us, make sure they actually run the voter registration drive. So then this turned into like, what we call the last mile task force, which like is just, we refer to it, I feel like on a weekly basis now. Uh, but I ran, I headed that up for those like last few months up until the November election. Um, and it was just, it was very energizing. Like we had a team of like really dialed in interns because also we had nothing else to do. And because like we were all virtual. So it was really a really like fulfilling experience and it got me really interested in like the more like organizing side of things. So I did that. And then I was like, Oh, John, it would be really cool if we did some like policy stuff too. Like if we did, if we found a way to engage young people in addition to registration, like getting them involved with like legislative advocacy in their States. Um, So then she was like, okay, that sounds great. And she like helped me set up our policy department. Um, and because I'm studying public policy and economics at school, uh, I was really, like, interested in, like, okay, how do we, like, bring young people into this earlier on? Um, so then I headed that up for, like, a year, I want to say. This is, like, around the time, like, my first couple years of college, pretty much. Um, and then end of sophomore year, I'm a senior now, so this is two years ago, uh, John V. was, like, getting ready to graduate, basically, uh, college. And she was, like, I want to keep the org like led day to day by some by like a student a current student and so then um she's like i think you'd be a great fit um so i like submitted an application uh for the job of executive director and then met with john v and our board um and then got the job so yeah i guess i did my time in the org and that's kind of how i like got to the position um but yeah, it's been a very fulfilling experience. But Don, feel free to feel free to tell your side. You know, I'm kind of curious. I feel like I've heard my side many times when I explain it to people. But well, I'm also you know. curious, John V, uh, of the origin of the organization because you started, I think, uh, in 2018, or was it was it even earlier than that? 
So you were you were you really motivated by because that wasn't a presidential election year that so were you motivated by state and local elections or um, youth engagement overall or what what prompted you to first start get the ball rolling that uh, of what led to to this organization to new voters. Yeah, absolutely. So I did first want to say like Nivea is just such a superstar. And when she joined New Voters as a senior in high school, it was like so like she was our by far youngest director leading development. She had to date still our most successful fundraising that we've ever done. Um, And like with the last mile task force, like she conveniently left out the numbers like in a month, Nivea like got So basically we moved every single intern at New Voters into the last mile task force with the purpose of running drives. And in a month, Nivea had 100 drives run in across the country uh, with her team. And Nivea was on the West Coast. All the interns were on the East Coast. Nivea would wake up every day at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. before like East Coast high schools would start so she could meet with our high school team members before their high school started to like touch base with them every single day. Wow. Um, so Nivea is like not only like a visionary with like thinking about like, you know, policy and like all of that, like creating the policy department, but she also is just like a badass organizer um, and who puts in the work. So I did want to. That wanna, should be your title, you know, by the way. Badass organizer. <laughs> Put it on your business card. <laughs> oh, she should. She should. I mean, there'd be too many things to fit on the business card, but um, <laughs> but. In terms of uh, how New Voters started, um, basically until my junior year of high school, I was pretty convinced I was going to be an opera singer. I was like really passionate about music. I've like taken like lessons and various musical things since I was like four um, and largely like, vocal performance since I was four. Um, and I was like set. I was like I'd spent every summer, every after school program doing music. And then the 2016 election happened my junior year of high school. Um, and I remember I'd always cared a lot about the climate, um, but it was like sitting on that, on my couch. Like I can vividly remember it. I was sitting on my couch in my family room, like, and I could feel myself like sinking into the couch as I saw like numbers on the screen and like, you know, colors on the map. And I knew that like, I was not any one of those numbers. Like my peers were not any of those numbers and just thinking like, like, what a shame. Like, you know, these decisions, like, you know, impact me more. Like, me and my generation more than anybody else. And we were not invited to be part of this discussion. And I remember walking into school the next day, and I'm from Berwyn, Pennsylvania, Chester County, which is infamously purple. Uh, it flip-flops a lot. And yeah. my school was very similar to that. Like, it was a pretty diversely political, not diverse in a lot of ways, but diverse in political sense, um, politically diverse school. And I remember walking into school and seeing like a bunch of people really upset. And I remember going up to people and being like, I know why I'm upset, but why are you upset? Um, Cause like it, based on the outcome, they should not have been upset. And they were like, you know, uh, it just like made us realize that this was like the most talked about event of our entire life, um, of our entire lives was the 2016 election. And it just made us all realize that, you know, we had like literally no say in it. So that was, you know, 2016, November, 2016. So January, February, 2017, I'm like, okay, like I really want to get involved. I saw like some very concerning things happening with like the EPA. If you remember things that were happening back then um, and just being like, this is like so crazy that like, you know, the environment and climate impact like my generation more than anybody else. And we don't have 
a say, but I was really inspired by seeing that, like, you know, this was not, like, a Democrat thing. Like, this wasn't a young progressive thing. This was, like, an every, every high school student thing was feeling very disenfranchised and honestly, like, helpless in the face of all of this. So we were looking for ways to get involved, and we really couldn't find any opportunities for high school students who weren't old enough to vote themselves to make a difference. And I realized that, like, a lot of my friends in the grade above me who were posting these, like, really long, like, uh, laments on Facebook and talking to them and being like, and finding out that they, even though they were old enough, hadn't voted in the 2016 election. Um, and slowly realizing that it wasn't like a lack of, and I was like, it couldn't be apathy. Like these people care more than anybody I know about what happened. Um, and then realizing more and more that a lot of it is like, you know, youth voter suppression in its various ways. It's the government, you know, and, you know, political structures failing young people by like not inviting them, not engaging them early. Like people not realizing that that first election um, can happen when you are, you know, just starting your senior year or ending your senior year or ending your junior year. So um, my junior spring, so that was like May 2017, we just ran like a small registration drive at our school with the League of Women Voters. We had a table um, and we didn't get very many people to, to fill out the form. Um, but then over the summer, really regrouped. I met with this amazing organization called Inspire US that helped high school students run registration drives. Unfortunately, they're not active anymore, but they, uh, they were really just like such incredible advisors and in helping me think about starting a drive at New Voters. Uh, and then like the Pennsylvania Se Secretary of State office, so like Inspire was working with the Pennsylvania Secretary of State to build out this thing called the Governor Civic Engagement Award. Um, so then October of my senior year, so October 2017, before the, it was like f a week before the election, the registration deadline for the 2017 November election, we ran a registration drive at my school. And to date is still like the most impactful and meaningful experience of my life. Like we had around, um, we started with a, a team of like 15 kids in my grade and we, like, we quickly ballooned to like 50 kids in my grade. We went into every homeroom in, that had seniors in it. We made presentations. We afterwards oh. followed up with every single senior. So like, I remember like there was a girl named Danny and she stood outside of like the field hockey practice room. And as people were exiting, she'd be like, hey, like you're not registered to vote yet. Like, cause we had a list of all of the eligible students in our grade. And we were like, you should fill it out right now and show me the screenshot. Um, and then I remember like somebody else like saw someone on Instagram that they didn't know and they saw that one of their friends was a mutual with them. So they asked them to DM them. I cold called people in our uh, school phone book who, and I asked their parents, I said, did you know your son isn't registered to vote yet? Oh, no way. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so in like three days, we went from like 40% of our school registered to vote to 85%. And then from there, it just like, you know, we got press, we got the Governor Civic Engagement Award. We we're the first school in Pennsylvania to get it. Um, and we, we spread to around like 80 high schools in Pennsylvania by the end of my senior year. So did you, along the way, I mean, you were being very, very proactive. And even though your efforts clearly are nonpartisan, it's your, your partisanship is about engagement, not necessarily about, you know, political party. And yet, even with that um, kind of veneer of, oh, it's something political, were you getting any pushback from teachers, uh, administrators, or, or parent, like you got parents on the phone? Did you get any pushback on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that 
we were really lucky that like my high school ended up being like incredibly supportive, but like you can't blame them. They were very concerned. It was a very, a very challenging time, like oh, post 2016 yeah. election. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still a challenging time, but it was a very concerning time. The school did not want to be political. Like they did not want to seem like they were supporting something partisan. Um, and I think that like, even though my intentions of starting new voters were probably pretty like self you know, interested in, like, the things that I cared about, it, like, very quickly, like, and it was like, okay, we need to show that we're nonpartisan. It very quickly transformed into, like, we need to be nonpartisan because, like, young people deserve to have, you know, the young Republicans deserve to have the Republican Party look like what young Republicans wanted to look like. Um, So in terms of pushback, so our school was very concerned about, like, you know, us staying nonpartisan. So, like, we had to, like, show them and this is something that we advise all of our schools to do is like we partnered with the high school democrats and high school republicans on running the drive at my school um so in our leadership team there was the president of high school dems and president of the high school republicans for students um we had a lot of people being like are you going to just like throw out my ballot if it's republican and we'd be like no like we want we want you to vote like we want everybody to register to vote like we want the Republican Party to look like what you want it to look like. Um, and we definitely got some some crazy responses. Like, we got someone who was like, I'm not voting, I'm an anarchist. And we were like, do it. We were, we were like, this is, I was like, we, we eventually convinced them. But it was it was pretty funny. That's awesome. Um, yeah, but I, it's, it's still a, a problem. Like, even though, like, I would say now, like, we are, we are, like, versus me when I was a 17 year old in high school and mad about Trump getting elected versus now, like we have like really embraced the nonpartisanship. Like we are not nonpartisan for the sake of getting into high schools. We are nonpartisan for the sake of, it is important to be nonpartisan in, yeah. in registering high school students to vote. Like it is something that we really value is engaging high school students regardless of their political backgrounds and affiliations. So I want to ask you about, I want to geek out a little bit about 2020 in particular because Arizona and Pennsylvania Talk about two really, really critical states and the number of new voters that you registered. You can make an argument that that had significant influence in the very states where at least at the presidential level was decided. And then you look at 2022 and you had something like in Arizona. I'm like pointing at you at the screen, like as if you know that I'm pointing at you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but like Arizona, I think it was the secretary of state in Arizona, which was a very closely held election. Um, so I want to geek out about that. But you brought up a really interesting point. Um, and I'm curious about your own experience in engaging just with voters, with other citizens, with your neighbors. One might be Republican and watching certain news programs. One might be Democratic and watching other news programs. Did you, were you surprised pleasantly, unpleasantly, once you started having those conversations, did you find that it was an opportunity to humanize each other and find more nuance? Or did it um, make you a little bit more callous? Like, oh man, they're just, they just want to, you know, they just want to turn this into a monkey pooping throwing contest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sorry, I didn't mean to put it that way, but I guess I did. No, no, I mean, that's a great question. And I also feel like Nivea, Nivea and I had very similar areas that we grew up in. So I feel like Nivea probably had a similar experience to me on this, but like, I think because I grew up in such a purple area, I was like forced to humanize people with different opinions to me. Like I would say like my, and I think it was, I I definitely benefited from that. Like, I think because like my best friend's parents or the person I like, you know, worked for, or like my favorite teacher would be you know, Republican or, I mean, I think it's pretty apparent that like what my political party is, even though like new voters is completely nonpartisan. Um, like I, I really 
did see people as like, I think that more so than I feel like I saw a lot in college when folks were from very homogeneously political areas. I would say there there are probably two major things that like shifted my opinion and like really made me like value um, nonpartisanship and also like decreased um, animosity towards the other side was the summer before my senior year when I was like looking for ways to be more involved, like new voters were still growing. um, I worked at this um, Institute for the study of citizens and politics at the University of Pennsylvania. And I coded a survey that had like tens of thousands of responses that went out after the 2020 election and it, 2016 election, sorry. And it said, why did Trump win the 2016 election? And I had to manually code all of these responses, um, which basically means I read open-ended responses and I have to categorize them based on what the trend is in the response. So around 25% of the folks in this open-ended response said like, you know, Hillary did Benghazi or Hillary's a murderer and that is why she lost. 25% said Trump is crazy and that everyone who voted for him is crazy and that is why he won. But a solid 50% of people were like, we want, people wanted change. Like people were upset with the situation that they were in and like the lives that they had and they just needed something different and Trump presented something different. And I remember like sitting there in Philadelphia, like reading these responses and being like, oh my gosh, like I like, you know, maybe I don't agree with their agent of change, but I can't fault people for, for wanting change. Um, and I think that really helped me contact, like I had the, the human side of things where like I knew people who were different political party, like a political party than me and had very different, you know, belief systems than I did. But I think it was like seeing like the hard data and I'm very much like a data person. Like it really showed me like, oh my gosh, like people are, people are all just like the same. People are all just people. And the, if your life is, you know, not doing great, like I can't fault you for like wanting something different. Um, And I think that really helped me um, think of things as more, yeah, more on balance than I feel like, um, maybe you would get if you didn't grow up in an area like Chester County, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So I know that um, certain districts like Bucks County, just north of you, is also very, very purple. Are you in PA1, by the way? Is that Brian Fitzpatrick's uh, district that you grew up in? No, no. I have uh, Chrissy Houlihan Oh, okay. My, All right. my rep. Uh, I'm just a Fitzpatrick fan and Josh Gottheimer on the Jersey side. Uh, because they're the mm-hmm. heads of the um, Problem Solvers Caucus, so it kind of speaks to the to exactly what you're talking about. So, Nivia, is was that your experience too? Did you once you started engaging, did it confirm maybe um, assumptions that you had made, or were you learning like new things about people that maybe you had uh, political disagreements with? No, definitely, yeah. I mean, just like John V, um, my suburb in Arizona is it's interesting because like I'm my high school is also like very like politically diverse. Um, but like we live in a suburban area that like trends, like the median age is like pretty high. Um, so our like representative is Republican, but we have so many like, um, you know, diverse political stances. I think a couple of my formative experiences, one has been, um, in high school, like I mentioned earlier, I was very interested in really local involvement. And so I joined my city's, Uh, mayor's youth commission pretty much like right when I started high school and I thought that was so interesting because I truly like the only civic education we really get at least in Arizona was like a very federal sort of understanding of uh, the structure of government Um, and so I had that conception like okay the federal government um, my senators the president those are my like 
those are the people actually like making a difference in my life. And then I go to the city council and I like watch a city council meeting. I'm like, wait, like these are like, they might not be as like headliner, like flash headliner type decisions, but they're so important and they impact the way I like live my life day to day. I think that was like a huge point of humanization for me because it made me realize like how practical politics can be and how useful it can be when you have people that are less focused on like partisan differences and more focused on solutions because our city council, like you can't really tell in the conversations they have, like what party affiliation they have. And in fact, I don't even think they run in parties for our city council. So it's very, um, and that's definitely uh, unique. I think uh, there's like, I've having lived in LA for all of college, it's a very different uh, experience with the LA city council and LA politics, but definitely one has been local involvement back home really made me like, think a lot more practically about politics. And I think that's why I wanted to take a more like studying public policy and econ route. Like how can I like gain the necessary toolkit to still hold my own beliefs, but think more objectively and critically about decisions and recognize that on either side, there can be, there will always be trade-offs with any sort of policy or platform that anyone advances. Um, And I think the second thing was recognizing, I mean, this just this past summer, I was, I was working, I was running New Voters with John V, but I was also working at the court in Arizona and basically just helping people that came in with, uh, like, filling out forms and starting their court cases. Um, And that was super eye-opening, too, because it, again, was an element of humanity where it's, like, everyone is going through similar struggles. Like, these struggles are not isolated to a certain type of individual. Um, Everyone can, underneath the sort of like belief systems that people have, like there's a very common sort of like human experience that we share. And I think that really was pretty eye-opening, especially like, cause when you talk to like a third of Arizona voters are independents, like they're not. Um, so there's like that, there's that big population of people, which it's not that they don't know what to think. It's that they honestly do have some nuanced perspectives. They don't feel like either party really represents what they stand for. Um, and Having conversations with those types of people is really interesting because you can actually find a lot more similarities than differences. Um, Absolutely. So that's been my experience. Yeah. Now, I <clears throat> I have so many questions, but I think there's two two areas that I really want to dive into. <clears throat> I definitely want to I, I want to talk more about data and the research network. But first, um, this is going to sound like it's partisan. It's really not, though. Objectively speaking, it's really not. So... You both worked really, really hard leading up to the 2020 election. Your home states are, were very, very critical in that election. And then January 6th happened. But not just January 6th, the night of January 6th. And then January 7th happened. And I bring this up because though that is when Congress took votes to overturn the elections in your states, the ones that were very closely held the ones that you worked very hard in to get um, nonpartisan engagement, just get civic engagement, youth, you know, youth voters. Um, how did you how did you process what was going on? I'm curious if you reached out to any state legislators or your U.S. Congress people um, during that time. What was your experience like on January 6th and January 7th when that was happening? I mean, OK, so I feel like. It was so surreal. I remember I was walking around in my neighborhood. I was talking to a freshman in high school who I was trying to convince to run a registration drive at her school. And I looked down at my phone and I'm like, oh my gosh, people just stormed the U.S. Capitol. And she was like, what? 
And I was like, I was like, I was like, we'll just look at this later. And it was so weird because um, for me, I was really thinking about January like 5th. Right. And I was thinking about the, the Georgia The Georgia election. election. Yeah, yeah. And the runoff. And like we were doing a lot of work in Georgia with the new Georgia project and like working with various high schools in Georgia before. Um, so I will say like we did not reach out to our state reps. Um, I mean, I think I did in a personal capacity, but like not as new voters, um, just because like we, it was just like something that like was, like we were, I think that it really did show us that we wanted to be more involved in the policy side of things. Like that's kind of when Nivea, and I'm sure Nivea can talk more about her her motivations for this, but I will say like when Nivea came to me and, and was like, I want to start the policy department. I want to see how we can like, you know, have our students be involved in like, you know, not just, you know, electing leaders, but also in like helping them decide what to do. Yeah. Um, and also running advocacy campaigns in their school. Like I'll say like in no small part was like January 6th, um, like a motivating factor in like, obviously I will support whatever Nivea does, but like in like being like, wow, this is like a really, a really necessary thing. And that's like, we ended up like introducing a bill on the Pennsylvania state house, um, to support teachers and running registration drives and like, how can we, um, as an institution, like while being nonpartisan, do things in a more institutional way, in a more longstanding way that like interacts with the institutions that might have, you know, to safeguard the votes, um, that we are, that we are helping register. So like, for example, we like, we're talking with like a law firm out in like, um, um, where was it? Was it in Colorado, Seattle? I don't know, but, but about potentially being like the uh, the plaintiffs on a case about like um, ballots getting thrown out because mail-in ballots getting thrown out because the signatures didn't match up uh, with the signature on file. And like, obviously that like really impacts both very young people and very old people because very young people, like your signature changes every day <laughs> and, and older people or like disabled folks, like the, the you know, your, your mobility can, can move. So um, I do think that like, it was kind of like a wake up call that like registering people to vote is not enough um, to, to create the change that we want to see. But yeah, Nivia, if you wanted to share a little bit. Yeah. What was your, were you having a reaction or how, how were you processing what was happening? Not just when they stormed the cap, when there was people storming the Capitol, but like what happened that night when I think it was about 150 Congress members were voting not to certify Arizona. Well, I think, I forget if Arizona was first and then Pennsylvania or if it was the other way around, but that was October 6th, uh, excuse me, um, January 6th and then January 7th. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I think honestly, I think my district representative was one of the uh, people that like voted to overturn it, uh, which is so disappointing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, because I think even, I think that again, just like, I mean, that was just so surreal. Like I saw that and I was like, this is what, but what was even crazier is that, so that summer I was working at um, a media company and we would uh, like a political media company and we would tune in like every single day of the hearings and everyone in the office would just be watching them. Um, so I was very like, I above everything, like accountability is just so, so important because without that, like there is no, like art political system is not strong if we don't hold people accountable for what they do. And I think it was like the hearings were so eye-opening because it goes into the details of it. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking 
who like the people that should be watching this are not watching it like they're not the people that are tuned in and really looped into the hearings are not the people that were trying to like convince that the storming of the Capitol was a bad thing you know so I think it made me it was a very sobering experience I think because um I think it, it really like highlighted the crossroads that a lot of young people are facing in the climate that we grew up in because it, growing up in an extremely polarizing environment, you either like, it's like one of, it's like one of three paths. You either become, or two paths, you either become super invested and passionate about like changing the existing system and trying to get involved in some capacity or you withdraw and you become disheartened because you see that these systems time and time again do not reflect what you believe should be happening in the world, both on a values-based level and also just policy-wise. Um, so then you disengage. And I feel like we've had so many conversations with people, um, especially young people, that feel that way. Um, because And it's so, it's so justified. But seeing the sort of the results of the hearings or lack thereof and the sort of ambiguity with like how accountable people are being held for this. Um, and also the sort of like short termism, I think that is inherent in human nature. Like people just, it's not that you forget about these big events, but it's like you stop talking about it because there's so many things to talk about now. Um, but I don't think we realize like how significant that is. Like I, and it, it seems kind of silly to bring it up, but even me saying that it's silly to bring it up reflects like a broader trend where it's like there's so many things happening. And that also, I think, impacts like young people's ability to want to get involved. So I think that's what I thought a lot about was just like, OK, how is this going to impact? Like, how are people interpreting this on like various ends of the political spectrum? But also, what is the larger implication if there is no accountability for these who are the actors that like perpetuated it? So I think those are my like main reactions to it. No, absolutely. I remember, um, I mean, it was California 25 at the time, but it's California 27 now. But um, our U.S. Congress member, uh, Mike Garcia, had just won the election by 333 votes, uh, where almost 350,000 people voted. It was, it, I think it was the closest elect, uh, Congress, um, congressional election in the country at that time. And yet the dude voted to overturn Pennsylvania and, and Arizona. I'm like, what are you you're, like? You're in the purplest of purple districts. What are you doing to overturn democracy? I don't understand. So I was I was very frustrated. Not even like I. So listen, I just fair, full disclosure um, at the state and local level, there are Republicans here that I support. Um, at the federal level, I tend to I've tended over the last few elections to vote more Democratic. That's just me. But I, I'm I'm purple. Like there are some issues where I'm considered conservative, some issues where I'm considered progressive. So I, I guess I reflect my district, which is a very purple district. So it's to me, it wasn't about like, oh, like, no, you got to support this team and this you're wearing this jersey. It was about democracy. And it had already literally been litigated. You know, 60 plus times at that point. I'm like, Mike, Congressman Mike, what are you doing, man? So anyway, that's just me. I okay, think, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. I was just like a quick thing. I, I totally agree. And I think like part of that, what I've also been thinking a lot about is like when people run for office, right? Like I personally believe that like voting for the person is like more important than voting for the policies that they support because when it comes down to it, first – the platforms that people run on rarely like get actualized. <laughs> right. Like the entirety of what they run on is not going to happen. It just doesn't like 
time does not allow that to happen. But more importantly, it's because when when you elect certain people and they're put in certain situations that are unforeseen, that they didn't bring up during the campaign, how do, how can you trust them? Like you need to be able to then vote. Like when you're voting, you need to be able to be like, I trust this person to make like game time decisions, basically like decisions that they haven't brought up in the campaign that we don't see, like we can't predict. Um, I just think centering your values when you vote is extremely not just your values, but like your genuine trust in the person's ability to do the job above the policies they advocate for, like is extremely important. Cause like when it comes down to it, like politics is not super predictable sometimes. Um, and I think it's, that's really important to keep in mind, especially with the like decertification of the election. To your point, you're making a character matters argument, which in the nineties, a lot more Republicans were making that argument uh, in the post-Trump era, that is a lot more people who lean Democratic are um, making that argument. So it's something, yeah, it's a, it's you're making a really nuanced point. I am curious about the research network. Um, a lot has been discussed um, about how data was collected leading up to 2016. Um, I think if you look at the crosstabs, it wasn't as wrong as the headlines were claiming, or, or a lot of really good ones weren't as wrong as the headlines were claiming. But I'm curious if the way – number one, how do you do it? Do you partner with other firms? When, if, if so, how do you discern who's doing good research? Are you doing any of your own research? If so, how are you doing it differently to collect, um, to collect better, better information? T- tell me all about it. Absolutely. Sorry, couldn't find the unmute button there for a second. Um, so basically, um, maybe it's good to give like an understanding of what the research network is. So back, um, as Davia mentioned earlier, when we, um, when after I came back from the White, sorry, before I went to the White House, uh, I, I did an internship at the White House. Wait, wait, wait! Um, you just buried I, the lead. You just buried the lead. <laughs> it's like you just went like I, so that time that I went to the White House and you know I was hanging with Joe and Kamala and you know. <laughs> That's so cool. You got to go to the White House. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, it was, it was super. I, um, so I just graduated this May. Um, so like five months ago, I guess. Um, and my second to last, my semester, November of 2022, I was very fortunate to be an intern at the White House in the office of public engagement. So I took off the semester. Um, and before that was when, you know, Nivea officially took over as, executive director of New Voters. And uh, really, uh, a lot of the, the justification there was, you know, I was going away, but also, like Nivea said, I really didn't want New Voters' organizing work to be led by someone who was very far away from high school, which I was approaching as I was about to graduate. Um, and when I came back from the White House, I had a, I had a really incredible like time there, and I was able to um, uh, help lead uh, and run my own initiatives in youth engagement for the White House and like led their monthly meetings with youth stakeholders. And I, I brought like around 40 youth leaders to the White House. And in that, I just saw that like, you know, there were all of these organizations that were focused on youth engagement, like, you know, through my, you know, at this point I've worked at New Voters for like seven years, like in the past seven years of working with New Voters and in this space, like I've seen like so many organizations that are doing this work. Um, and it doesn't really feel like we are meaningfully as a movement to register every high school student in this country, like moving forward um, or collaborating really. So when I came back from uh, my internship, I did like a listening tour and I met with around like 30 
40 high school serving organizations. So anywhere from like Rock the Vote to the YMCA to When We All Vote um, to like, you know, the League of Women Voters. And I just like essentially asked like, what are, what has your experience been like in the space? Like what's good, what's bad? Why do you do registration? If you don't, why not? Um, and a really big thing that came out, there were a few things that were major threads, but the big one that really struck me was there's a lack of empirics. There's a lack of understanding of what works to register high school students to vote as a population that is distinct from just the youth generally. Like, um, there, like, you know, there's, there's like some numbers we know, like 4 million students graduate from, you know, around 4 million students graduate from U.S. high schools each year and around 87% of them are able to register and, or vote by then. Um, and we know that, you know, they are voting at less than 50% of the rate of their older counterparts on average, but there really isn't like a consolidated research approach to like how many 18 year olds vote in their first election every year. Like what are the underlying drivers and motivators for high school students to civically engage, um, to register to vote? Like what tax, like should the teacher be the one running the registration drive or the student? Like what are making students like become activists and why are there students who are activists who aren't registering to vote? All of these things were really like not studied. There's a severe understudy of high school students um, in political science literature. And I, in college, just fell in love with research. So started the New Voters Research Network as um, a way to essentially um, bring together high school students, high school serving organizations, and academics to empirically identify the best ways to register high school students to vote. And um, there's this been this incredible um, secondary impact uh, where we are able to also have like young researchers. So the goal of having high school student research assistants and young college research assistants is that, um, you know, the re they are better researchers because they are closer to the issue. Like they know the questions that you would ask. They know how to frame a question. They know how to make a good TikTok. They know how to, you know, and they have all these ideas of, of research questions. So all of our projects are directed by our high school students and our early college students. Like they are, they are the PI on the project. Um, but also we've been able to really like train and help the high school students run, like get the skills to run effective um, studies. Uh, so we've done, like we've published a few times. So we published a study. Our first study was me and then a senior at high school at the time and a professor at um, Carleton College. And it was on, um, like identity, so like I'm a I'm a behavioral economist. Um, I'm a fledgling behavioral economist, just my area of research. Um, and this bit essentially was looking at how like um, priming, you know, different identities, whether it be like you know Gen Z is very knowledgeable or Gen Z is very powerful, can change how you know someone would turn out to vote or not. Then we also published a study. Um, these are two high school students, one of whom is actually Nivia's cousin. Um, they published a study that essentially like tied how early voting is connected to um, high school student tur turnout. And then right now we're uh, in the process of publishing a study on Pennsylvania and it's like how many schools in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh have programming to register their high school students to vote. What are like, what are those tiers of engagement look like? Um, and we have around 20 ongoing and we work with like, we work with nonprofits. So like we're working with Generation Citizen right now, which is like a massive civics curriculum nonprofit to uh, do some like interviews with their students to see how like action oriented civics training can impact your civic outcomes. Um, we worked with another nonprofit to see how like deliberative communication can impact, you know, your civic engagement. But we also like every single one of our projects were partnered with at least one 
um, either professor or uh, doctoral student. And it's been like a really incredible, incredible journey. Like I think a learning how to like teach people how to do research. Like we did a summer program where we had around like 30 high school students from across the country and then one in Canada um, learn oh. <laughs> how to run, <laughs> yeah, learn how to run, um, run studies and like what is political science research? What is research for impact? Because I was very lucky that my first exposure to research back when I was a uh, junior in high school was research for impact and research for the purpose of, you know, having some sort of meaningful impact on society. So we really wanted that. But also um, doing research that like we then deploy um, and give to our nonprofit partners to use to inform their programming. Because like, as much as I love research, like I definitely feel like um, most research is done for research's sake. And most research is done to like, you know, sit in the hallowed halls of research and maybe collect dust. Um, and I think that like every single study we do, like we, the first thing we do as a plant is like, we write up like why this is important to the space and like why, like what organization specifically we could see using this this information to like improve their programs, how we're gonna get it to them. Like we do that before we even like do the research project in the first place. Um, but yeah, we have around 10 high school um, and like a few freshmen in college who are our research assistants. Um, and there's me and I direct the research network and our deputy Sydney, who's also been with New Voters for like four years at this point, who's now a freshman at Georgetown. Um, and around like, you know, like 20, 30 professors and grad students who work with us. Um, so it's been, it's been really exciting to, to see how you can meaningfully engage high school students in research. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's one guy who teaches at USC. I don't think he's a full-time prof, but, uh, Mike Madrid, he was sharing some uh, numbers about just actuarial numbers about how many boomers are going to die before, <laughs> before 2024, whereas how many Gen Zers are going to come of voting age. And that could be a really critical factor in the 2024 election. Do you, have you taken any classes with Madrid, Navia? I have not. It's the first time hearing of him, um, but I'll definitely, I'll definitely check him out. He sounds cool. What was his name again? Sorry. Mike Madrid. Um, he, he's from not too far from here, started in California politics. Um, he was one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. Um, he, but him and Ron Steslow broke off and started politicology together. And as, uh, as Ron says, Mike Madrid eats numbers for breakfast. He's like, so not only is he one of the best numbers guys, he's one of the best numbers guys because he understands what the numbers mean and has been more accurate about analyzing um, the impact that it's going to have on elections ever since I've been following him. Um, he happens to be a really, really terrific person. Uh, his specialty is Latino politics. He, he you know, um, but and uh, that's one of his shows, too. It, it would be worth checking out. He um, he started in Republican politics, much more of an independent now. Um, and he and Chuck. Oh, what's Chuck's name? Uh, he was very involved in Bernie's campaign. They got together uh, as Latinos uh, and have the, the Latino vote. That's the name of their show. So it would definitely be worth checking out. Um, anyway, so I was curious. <laughs> I was curious. You know, you're on the ground. You're very hands-on. You're in the field, right? Have you ever been in one of your classes at college and having the experience that you do realized this professor doesn't really know what the hell they're talking about? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you actually have hands-on experience. Has that ever occurred? Have you been in that or have your professors all been like, you know, rock stars and they know exactly what they're talking about? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Cause my, I mean, my classes are not like, I kind of approached 
deciding what I was going to study based on like, here are the skills I want to develop and the sort of like outlook that I want to build for myself. But I've, I've always like, they're not, I don't necessarily take classes on what I do on the ground, if that makes sense. Like I, like the work we do at New Voters, like you learn so much just by doing it. But I just think um, the classes I take are, are just different. Like, I don't think it's a very like, it's not comparable. Like my professors know so much and they really, I think what I, what I have noticed though is what I really enjoy about, especially my public policy curriculum, um, is that it is very, we do, we talk about kind of, okay, here's how you could like break down a policy, cost benefit analysis, like looking at like the economics behind it, all of that stuff. But they always tie it back to like, anytime we talk about the impact of policy, like they always talk about, okay, here's what it should be in theory, but here are the political factors that like impact it. So there's, even though we are studying policy, we don't do it in a vacuum. So professors really often do like tie it back to sort of like, oh, here are the political factors at play when this, when the Affordable Care Act was passed. Here's like how those changing policies like impacted its effectiveness. Um, and I really appreciated that because there's also like, I took a government and business class where we look at like a bunch of like regulations and our professor would point out just like the comedy behind it, like, and like the sort of like, human flaw component of it he pointed out this like one regulation about like french onion soup and we're like why is this still a regulation what's <laughs> going on and he's like actually like they never get rid of regulation they just keep adding regulations and there's like a big book of like tens of thousands of regulations half of which are like archaic from like the 1850s probably uh so i just thought that was really funny because it like reminded me like okay yeah like we're studying public policy but like nothing is objective. Like everything has been curated by humans. And like that element of like human error is like a, a little heartwarming, honestly, because it like reminds you that it's not a sort of like field that you are unable to access just because like you're younger or like you don't know as much. Cause in the reality, it's like even people that are older than you and are supposed to be experts in the field, like still do like silly human <laughs> things. You know what I mean? So I thought like in a way, like the curriculum is kind of humanized, policy a lot more than I thought it would for myself but I think if anything it's been complimentary though I, I don't think I've ever had like a experience with a professor that where I've been like wow they really just don't know what's going on <laughs> in the real world um so that's been good for me what about what about you Genevieve yeah no I I think there most of the classes I took were pretty like researchy oriented I did take an organizing class but I could never say that this person, it was with Marshall Gans, who was like a head organizer with Cesar Chavez and the United Farm Workers Movement. Like I, I was like, this man knows more than I ever will. Uh, so, but I will say like something that I've really appreciated is like when professors do learn about like my involvement in youth engagement, like they always take like the time to like, like if we're talking about something to do with youth engagement, they'll be like, oh, like, you know, Jonavi's done this work. Like, let's hear from her a little bit. I will say that I do actually, um, I, I take up quite a few classes that have like, um, in our school, people in the grad schools can also take like the undergraduate classes or you can take graduate level classes. And there would be a few times when like the teacher or a peer would be like, Jonavi, I know you're like an expert in youth engagement. And I would like, or they'd be like, oh, I know you're an expert in youth engagement. Like, what do you, what would you think? And I would start to speak. And then someone else would start talking who oh, yeah. like did not do any youth engagement and it, I would be like and it would and I'd be like what like what have you done and it's I think that this is 
it is very, like, especially in interviews, it's so interesting that, like, youth engagement and voting rights is something that, like, I think everybody thinks they're an expert on. And I will say, like, I definitely am not an expert on voting rights, but I, like, in, in the interest of, like, being, like, you know, you know, acknowledging your own strengths. Like, I do, I do know quite a bit about helping a high school student run a registration drive at their school. And I was telling Navy this. I do know quite a bit about scheduling meetings with high school students. That's awesome. Um, and, but I do think it's really interesting because I, like, I think general, and I think it, it's a double-edged sword because people are more inclined to want to discuss things with you because everyone feels like they're aware of, like, why don't young people vote and what do young people need to vote and young people are apathetic or young people are disengaged um but it also has this other edge of like people just generally think they know what the root causes of youth like you know low turnout rates are and I I think that people really don't understand like that there's like there are so many factors like I think sometimes I I even say like oh like youth voter suppression is like the main culprit of uh why young people aren't voting and people are like I think that no one would believe that and I'm like that's like not the case like it's true it's like it's documented like it's just there's not like concerted like papers that have been written about it but like if you think of you know if you if you take into like oh like the media portraying like you know, young people as apathetic and don't have, like, not having to engage in the, the process, like, that is a form of, of suppression. Like, if you think about, like, the fact that, you know, a lot of schools have classes on the day of the election and sports and, like, you get to school at, like, 5.30 a.m. and you're there until, like, 8 p.m. Like, when are you going to go vote? Um, like, it's not, like, targeted youth voter suppression, but like lack of transportation, long lines, complicated rules for first time voters, like provide like severe logistical challenges as well as like cultural challenges. Like we don't prioritize like civic engage, like civics education in schools. Um, like there's not, there's really this lack of like jumping from like, you know, theory to practice when it comes to like how civics education is taught. Um, so that's kind of my teachers. I feel like my professors have generally been pretty pretty kind and I would I would never say that I think no one should ever say they are an expert on anything but um I do definitely feel that that my experiences are taken into account by by them but maybe not so much by by other people who think that they everyone knows everyone knows a lot about youth engagement it's um (laughs) but yeah so that you bring up really and you started to answer this question but how do you turn passion and clicks to actual votes I mean, I think that, like, high school students are some of the most passionate and competent people in the country. Like, high school students uniquely represent, like, all of the youth. Like, since, like, I don't know, like, almost 40% of Americans don't go on to, like, a post-secondary education. Um, and, like, there, there's, like, a lot of opportunity in high school. Like I said, like, 3 million students, like, four, almost 4 million students graduate every year. Um, but, you know, like we were talking about, there are very, like, again, not identified rates, but we know that at least 18 to 24 year olds vote at like less than 50% the rate of their older counterparts. Um, and we know, we also know that these, you know, these real factors of like high school voter, you know, youth voter suppression, um, are impacting things. And we also know, like Nivia talked about earlier, that young people have felt let down by the government and they feel very disillusioned that even if they were to vote, that it would make a difference because, you know, they can elect someone into office and that person can still not do what they want to do. Um, so what we really 
really focus on um, is that like, you know, despite like the similarities between high school students that, you know, they're all in high school, they all, you know, are taking kind of the same classes. Like each high school student requires support that like reflects their unique demographic of their school. So that's why each school that runs a drive with us is led by a local high school student who goes to that school and they guide us in personalizing our approach to register that school's population. So they, we have, a, every school gets a mentor who's like, job is to personally help that school run a drive. Um, and they work with that high school lead to figure out like what, like, what does your email to your administration need to look like? What is the message that you need to send the peers in your school? And then like our high school researchers are also like looking to empirically identify how to engage high school students with various backgrounds. But I, I think that like, there's a variety of like speeches that we use to galvanize youth voters. like. One of my favorites is like, you know, like, what do you care about? Like, do you care about, you know, the PSSAs, which is a standardized test in Pennsylvania? Like, do you care about like when, um, like, you know, how much, how much money your school gets? Do you care about, you know, um, the, this trail being built by your house or a pipeline being built like near your water supply? I'm like, well, every single one of these things is impacted by voting. Um, so that's one of my favorites, but I also think another really powerful speech, um, and this was shared with me by someone from the League of Women Voters, Virginia, and I'll see if I can pull it up, um, but it was very powerful where essentially she made everybody in the class stand up and she said, welcome, like you were all now voters. And then she would be like, this fourth of the, like every other student, like you sit down. Like they're like, why did we sit down? Like you're no longer voters. You didn't, you know, show up to vote. And then like, and then they're like every other student, like sit down. Like, oh, it's like, you're no longer voters. Like you didn't register. And then it would go on until like it would be the actual proportion of the number of of 18 year olds who vote. And she would be like, what are your names? And then she turned to the rest of the class and be like, do those four people standing up represent your vote? Like, will they vote the way that you want them to vote? And they'd be like, no. (laughs) So and it, it would be it would be it's like a very visual representation of like, if you don't vote, someone else is going to. Yeah. Um. And yeah. you, so um, that's one of my favorites. That's awesome. Did you have anything to add to that, Nivia? In terms of actual, like, yeah, because I think we we focus a lot on like the first sort of phase is registering them, but then we have like the actual like get out to vote efforts, get out the vote efforts, and I feel like, um, I feel like yeah, I think that, I think everything John V said, especially just the point about trying to tie it to like something that like young people individually care about and recognizing that that looks different for every person. Um, and I also, I like to also take the approach of like combining it with a little bit of like education in the sense of like, Hey, here's how your vote will impact. Like what happens in your life, like in the next like couple weeks, like making it very like real for them. So it doesn't seem like, Oh, I'm just like putting my vote out there into the like abyss and it's like, nothing's going to happen with it. Uh, so I like to, also add that element of things but other than that completely agree with everything john awesome i just have a couple more questions i mean we've covered a lot of ground um i want to ask you i call it the tpnr question what do you think each of us can do to be able to share space with have better conversations with perhaps even nurture relationships with people across our differences so people who think differently than we do have different beliefs than we do get their news from different sources than we do like we're talking about before how can we do better at talking politics and religion without killing each other? Or is it even possible? I totally think it's possible. And I think the one like thing that changed my like mind about this entirely was this book called rising out of hatred. It is a brilliant book and it's about this 
the it's about like this this journalist finds this guy who was set to like inherit the white nationalist movement like he was the son of like like founding member of the white nationalist movement like he was on track to do all that he goes to college and he completely changed he goes to this like uh more liberal college i guess in florida um and he completely changes his perspective disassociates from the like white nationalist movement despite being like literally like indoctrinated into that since birth and then changes his name and then the journalist finds him and like kind of maps out his whole story and process and what i found really interesting about that book like partisanship aside was like the the way that this individual like decided to engage with his peers at college like he was a very like unique case in the sense that he he looked at data like he looked at research so he was a like sort of evidence-based person um and he also like was so open to hearing people that thought differently from him like despite him holding a very like objectively sort of extreme viewpoint um he in college interacted with so many different types of people um and i think like the way i i truly believe that like a few things have to happen to be able to have like a productive conversation like i think one is recognizing the forum for productivity and recognizing that a lot of the times it's not going to be on social media um and it's not going to be in the comments or in the twitter threads like arguing about things um and that so i think that's the first step i think the second step is like giving people space to learn um because i think in this climate especially with young people there is like this sort of push to somehow understand extremely complicated uh policy issues that have been complicated for a while uh that no one has solved and like the expectation that you have to speak on it like not only do you have to try and understand it but you have to take a stance and you have to do it as soon as you can um and if it deviates even a little bit from another person that might have a super like well built out understanding because they've studied that issue um if your path deviates at all from that then you are like automatically labeled and put into a box like i think i think we need to have a lot more empathy with people and like in terms of recognizing okay like this person is my friend like i know that i know that they're a good person like i'm friends with them but they don't understand this issue like super well um let me just try talking to them seeing like what they know maybe we can learn together but just because they posted something that doesn't seem super in line with what i think doesn't mean that they are automatically like i should label them a certain way um so i think having empathy for learning and having a curiosity for like at a minimum like wanting to hear what the other side thinks like i watch the like even though again i'm personally like a democrat new voters is nonpartisan but um like i watch the gop primary debates because i'm very curious like what is going on like what are people talking about and i think there's so much value in just trying cuz who knows like you might like there's a couple sound bites that people will say a couple sentences in those debates or i'm like yeah low key like I understand that like that makes sense but I think like recognizing that like you're if you have a desire for curiosity right like you're gaining more knowledge like I treat it as a sort of like learning act- activity it's not like I'm sacrificing any of my beliefs but it costs you nothing to to hear what someone else that thinks differently from you has to say like at worst case is you continue your disagreement but best case is like you've built a sort of like bridge of understanding or at least like recognition that like I get where they're coming from and i think like you don't have to agree with someone to understand where they're coming from um but i think it like establishes a lot more empathy and like common ground to work off of 
Yeah, so lead, lead with empathy, lead with curiosity. Okay, I, I like it. I like it. Yeah, Monty Guzman wrote a, um, a great book last year. She, um, the, it's called I Never Thought of It That Way. And she talks about radical curiosity. Um, so, um, yeah. What, so what do you think, John V? Yeah, I mean, Nivea said that so well. I, I feel like everything for me comes back to that survey that I coded. And I do think it is possible that to have conversations with folks who have very different opinions and beliefs and priorities than you. Because at the end of the day, I think that, you know, solutions can be different and, you know, who you attribute a problem to can be different, but like prob like the problem that a person has and an issue that a person has on an individual level is like the same. Like the same issues come for us, whether we're Republican or Democrat or I mean, like obviously like there are things that are exacerbated based on your your demographic, your race, your sex, your social your sexual orientation, all of those things. But like at the end of the day, like people aren't I think what what helps me engage in conversations is like people aren't like you know, maybe maybe the, the the leap that they take to the thing that they want to happen is not something that I would necessarily agree with. But if you can like listen and if you can like hear what someone's talking about when it comes to like why they want that thing to happen, um, you'll find that like you know, it's something that you can empathize with. It's something that like maybe you've even faced yourself. Um, and I think that like once you can understand like why people feel a certain way, you can collaboratively come up with and like maybe that's a naive way of thinking about it, but. Um, even in, in new voters, like if I'm talking to a Republican when I was in high school, when I was a, when I was a 17 year old and I was trying to register someone who knew I was a Democrat and I knew they were a Republican and they'd be like, I don't want to register to vote with you or I don't want to register to vote. I think that it would be very easy to just be like, why? Like, do you not care about our generation? Do you not care about like our school getting this award? I think it it helped a lot for me to be like, oh, like why, why don't you want to vote with me? Like what, what is like, what's making you feel like this? And like, if I can like understand like maybe there's like more behind the scenes maybe they're like oh my parents like you know don't you know blah blah blah. or like I like you know I feel like worried that you're going to like throw away my ballot and I think that like there's maybe like there are problems that can that cannot be solved like that but I do feel that at the end of the day like the 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 core things that a person wants can be you, you can you'll you can find a commonality with anyone yeah like any human being on this planet you can find one thing you have in common with them um and um yeah i, I think it's definitely possible as long as you practice radical curiosity yeah um yeah and questions you you kind of brought up a really good point that questions that give someone an opportunity to share their story as opposed to questions that sort of are more interrogative like you know you're you're sort of the question is kind of designed to disqualify them in a certain way, whereas a real genuine question is more one where somebody can tell you their story. And then all that that leads to a human connection, regardless of what their kind of preferences might be coming into the conversation. You know, and then also a lot of the conversations tend to become these contests of like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And with this kind of false notion that you can convince somebody to completely change their views on any given topic, let alone their their political orientation. Um, so, OK, one other question, and, and I'm going to specifically ask for a short answer to this question, is elected office in either of your futures? I, I feel like anyone who, who does like um, political work where they're leading a nonprofit is like not, depending on like not like opposed. I will say like my passion lies in like, I do love research and I do love like evaluating policy. Um, 
And that's where, that's where I see. But like, I would, I would be a hypocrite to my mission if I were to say that, like, if an opportunity showed up, I wouldn't, because I think that we encourage our youth to get involved and like run for school board and run for county commissioner and, and run for these things as young as they can. Like I'm separately part of like a movement to help high school students run for school board. And, you know, I, I think it would be, it would be hypocritical when I'm someone who does like to speak and I'm someone who doesn't mind being, you know, in front of folks to say that I wouldn't. But in terms of like what I find very fulfilling, I really love, I really love like, how can you find like data to inform policy and data to inform programming um, in that way. Okay. Nivia? Yeah. So I'm kind of on the, I'm on the other side in the sense that like John V really likes the data element at like translating things into impact. Like I want to be part of the effort that actually like listens to the people doing the research when they like decide policy and implement it. So like in terms of like short term, I want to go more of like the legal route, like legal advocacy, um, because I think, but like with a focus on civil rights and like voting rights and stuff. Um, but I think like in the future, like I like I I firmly believe that like running for office is like more about like the right timing than anything else like you need to time it right and so if the timing like works out that would be super cool like i don't know what the future landscape is going to look like but like would love to go home and run in arizona um because i just like care about the policy issues there i grew up there like it's um i like care a lot about like making the state better um but definitely short term interested in like legal advocacy that also moves policy forward. So kind of that intersection of like legal and policy advocacy. Awesome. Um, All right. Last question and one piece of business. The last question is, do you have any questions for me? I guess, do you, do you, have you seen, do you see an opportunity in high schools to further your mission of, you know, talking politics and religion without killing each other? Yeah, so my youngest just graduated high school in the spring, uh, Emerson. So, you know, we were involved. And I, I do. I do. Because, and it's not just about politics and religion. It's really about human connection, you know, because we do this across so many different uh, spheres of our life. Politics and religion is are two subjects that are really close to me. We often end up talking about race and um, gender because it's all part of, these these worlds that are big important subjects but it's also about how we live together you know and when whether it's public school or private school charter school or homeschool you know at the end of the day we still got to figure out how to live well among each other and kids of that age they're they're experiencing a lot of that for the first time you know so giving helping young people develop the tools uh, you know, at that age, it's the formative years. I think we're we're setting a really good foundation. You know, and listen, there are differences. What what I was when I was growing up, when I was in my teenage years, I didn't have an iPhone. I didn't have, you know, the internet. So the just sociologically, the things that influenced us were very very different than the things that influence um, kids that are growing up today. But at the end of the day, regardless of the technology, and there's this great um, study, Gene Twangy down in UCSD um, did a great study on the different generations and how we're different. 
um, how Gen Z is different from millennials, millennials from Gen X, Gen X to boomers. And she did it across, I think, six generations total. And technology is one of those biggest things that in very concrete ways affect who we are, how we are, uh, what's important to us. But at the end of the day, we're still human. Some things don't change about just being human. And that connection, you know, um, one of the things that, that uh, Dr. Twangy um, realized in doing that study, that cross-generational study, is that mental health is significantly affected um, by technology. You know, so um, mental health, I, I had this conversation the other day that one of the tools in my own toolbox in terms of mental health, perhaps the most important tool, is what I call communion among loving souls. And that's just basically hanging with good people, you know, hanging with people who are listening. The way that you're, you're listening to me right now, John V, like those uh, sort of communicating, I'm, I'm interested, I'm, I'm hearing you. Like that is something, spe- even though we don't know each other, don't have a relationship with, you know, it, like we're not good friends yet, but like that's communicating something to me on a very human level. So I think just something as, as simple and practical as that, as teaching each other how to listen to each other, how to be with each other in person, you know? So yeah, I think there is an opportunity um, to to be mindful about developing these tools and developing these virtues of how to live well among each other. Does that, does that make sense? No, I, I think that's so well. And congratulations on your, was it your youngest or your oldest, you said? Yeah, my youngest. Graduated. Emerson just graduated. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Are they matriculating somewhere or taking some time? Or Yeah, so interesting. You might find this interesting. So Emerson was definitely on track to go to a four-year school. We were looking, as a freshman, when he was a freshman in high school, we were looking at Stanford and Cal and you know um, some of the top schools here in California. But COVID really messed the dude up. Like he was, we called him the golden child, the petit prince, like everything he touched turned to gold, captain of the soccer team, getting straight A's without even trying, you know, um, you know, he, he went out for the play for the first time and got cast in the, you know, the lead role, like just everything he touched turned to gold. But COVID like being away from people just messed the dude up. So I think wisely he decided he needed, you know, to kind of ease into it. And he's going to, we have a really, really good community college here. So he's in his first semester at um, uh, College of the Canyons, doing really well, uh, working, you know, a part-time job at Target, doing that thing, going to music festivals and stuff. So he's finding his groove. He's finding he's really loving his writing class and philosophy classes. Um, So he might be leaning in that direction. He's also a music guy. So um, he's he's jamming on, on guitar and you know, he's just kind of taking a little bit more time to find himself. Um, I, I believe he, he's kind of leaning in the, still leaning in the direction of four year. Um, but I, I, I like the fact that he's taking his time to kind of uh, find his groove again. Um, and and it, plus, I love the fact that I'm not spending 70 grand a year, you know, on a you jumping right into it. So that helps. I have I have like a lot of very good friends, I think siblings who are who are doing similar things. And I'm like, I, whenever I talk to them, I'm like, the best thing I ever did, all, I took a year off, uh, like not con- consecutively, but during college. And like, I wish I had done it when I had come out of school. And like, I think that like, it's crazy that we expect people at 18 or in, like my case, like 17 to like make the decision that'll like impact your life, or at least that's how it's framed to us. Yeah. And it's like, that's like insane. Like, and, and it's also like so expensive if you don't know what you want to do and you go and then you don't it's like so that and it sounds like he is like studying yeah as well that interests him so yeah he's 
sounds like he's, he's doing great. So, and I'm also a music person, so oh, that's, that's awesome. Exciting. Yeah. Oh, I meant to ask you. By the way, so you're a little bit uh, there. I one of my mentors, to lifelong mentors, is a guy named David Anker, and he's one of the most prominent um, opera singer trainers he's up in bucks county he's not well now like physically he's not well so he hasn't been actively teaching for a few years but when you were first studying um i don't know you probably haven't heard of david i was just at his his house one day and um i didn't he was just david to me we just did some artwork some some of the arts in bucks county there um and uh we did some uh, theater work together and he was just my buddy david i'm at his house one day and i'm flipping through a textbook and um it's a picture of David, and he's referred to as Maestro. This whole textbook was written about Maestro Anchor. Like, I was so blown away that, like, my buddy David, he's like Maestro, and these, like, world-renowned opera musicians are coming to Bucks County just to study with him. So, anyway. <laughs> wow. No, that's, there's, there is a non-negligible overlap between music and, like, the arts and the civic engagement world as well. Yeah. Like, I'm at the University of Maryland right now as a fellow, and... Most of the people that I'm interacting with here, like, also teach like theater classes, um, who also are doing civic engagement work. So it's a it's a great it it's is. a great community, and that's that's awesome. I will look him up. How do you spell his last name? It's A N C K E R. Yeah, and if you like, I I'll I'll I'll, I'll be happy to introduce you. If uh, but just yeah, just look him up and and um, yeah, interesting interesting dude. Um, Nivy, did you want to take a swing at me? I mean, ask me a question. <laughs> Yeah, I was just curious how you like decided to like go this route with like the focus of your podcast. Like, I was curious how you decided to zero in on on this topic. So, I became I grew up in a very observed Jewish family, but I became a Christian uh, in two thousand. So I was in my late twenties, and that is both political and religious. The reason it's religious is obvious. I had to talk to my family about why I made this radical decision. Um, like why I discovered Christianity, why I'm going down that route kind of uh, religiously, theologically. And those are hard conversations. But what was more um, tenuous, what was more adversarial seemingly right out of the gate was I, I came to Christianity largely for philosophical, theological reasons. But I walked into a church, in particular in this, in this valley, um, it's um, largely influenced by very fundamentalist uh, evangelical, a particular style of American evangelicalism. And I realized that a lot of people I was going to church with, they were primarily defined by their political and social preferences and backing in scripture rather than having philosophical or you said uh, value, you were, you've been talking about values-based. Um, it wasn't necessarily values-based. They were backing their values into their political prejudices. I, I would, I'd say prejudices, but like preferences, leanings. Um, and so I was finding myself having to have these really difficult conversations about politics with my brothers and sisters in Christ, with my brothers and sisters that um, from our, our Bible study. And I, I just realized we are not doing this well. Um, and then especially like in 2008, uh, Sarah Palin was a very galvanizing figure, um, polarizing and galvanizing. And I realized she's speaking about other citizens as if they are the enemy. And it really bothered me. Like, I really wanted to like Sarah Palin because she was introduced as the Maverick and, you know, bucking her own party in Alaska and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, this sounds great. And then all of a sudden she rolls out and she's like, she can't say she 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 was speaking about Democrats, the Democrat Party, as if they were worse than our actual 
adversaries. And it really bothered me. And obviously, fast forward to 2016, and it just got even worse. So I said, well, what can I do? Number one, I can get better at doing this. I can get better at like talking to people that disagree with me on certain things. How do I do that? So I decided to start talking to people who seem to um, embody that, who seem to be, who seem to be thinking about that and coming up with good solutions. Like I got to talk to one of my one of the guys I've been reading the most, one of my absolute favorites, uh, a guy named David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times and the Atlantic, and he just he just wrote this book, by the way. Um, I recommended reading for how to know a person. You guys have been talking about you. Um, both of you have been talking about a lot of what he discusses. The subtitle is the art of seeing others deeply and being deeply seen. And we don't do, if we can do just a little bit better, one degree better, I think that would solve so many of the, uh, the biggest problems. And one of the things that David said to your point, um, John V is that, Hey, encourage your kids to go out for theater. Because it's one of the ways that they can practice empathy. You know, if they can think through the eyes of another person via another character that they're playing, it's a way to develop empathy and practice empathy. So anyway, that sort of answers your question, but it it started with me becoming a Christian and having to have difficult religious conversations, but then going to church and having to have difficult political conversations and realizing we can talk about different issues. We can talk about different policies but we don't know how to talk to each other. So that's why I started doing it in 2020. <laughs> so anyway, this went a lot longer. We got, no, that's awesome. I got, yeah. I got so many more things I want to talk to you about. So maybe we'll have to do a part two when we're, you know, coming up to the primaries or after the primaries leading up to the election and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So maybe we'll have to revisit. Um, in the meantime, how can folks follow you, find more information about new voters and all of the great work that you're doing? Yes. Uh, so first, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at Instagram at New Voters. Uh, we also have our website, new-voters.org. Um, and you can subscribe to our newsletter there. We send out like monthly newsletters that are amazing. We actually did a collab with the Democracy Group on our last newsletter. Um, so that was super cool. Um, and so those are a few of the ways. We're on LinkedIn as well, at New Voters. Um, the, the the word the the phrase new voters will be the same across social media platforms. Um, we're also on X or Twitter. I don't like to call it X, but um, we're on that platform. And what else? That is what's coming to mind right now. Okay. Um, but all of our information is on our Instagram and on our website. And I'll put the IG. And if you know, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'll, I'll put the IG and the website URLs in the show notes. So at least those two. And, and you know, if I find others, I'll put them, I'll put them in the show notes too. But I think yeah. it, once you find the website, it, I know that it has like those little icons that goes to everything else that you're doing. So that's yes, cool. Exactly. Yeah. And if you know anyone yeah. who is in high school and wants to run a registration drive, mm-hmm. um, we are able to support them and we want to support them. So feel free to email us at hello at new-voters.org. You can also reach me and Nivia personally with our first name at new-voters.org. So. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, Nivia, Janvi, thank you so much for spending the time. I got, I got more than I bargained for. So this is awesome. And it's so great to get to know you personally. <laughs> and I hope it's not – I hope it's – the start of a beautiful friendship or whatever that last line in Casablanca was. <laughs> yes, I think this no, is Thank you so much, Corey, for like chatting with, for chatting with us. It was super good, fun. Good, good. Yeah, no, this I was, flew by. This was great. And honestly, like, I feel like I've, like, I was, I looked you up and everything before 
the podcast and I was really excited to chat and hear more about like your perspective and understand like your your approach and, and thoughts around high school engagement so this was really enlightening as well on on our end um so very much probably very enjoyable you're a phenomenal interviewer as well um and I'm excited to listen oh great terrific and as I, thank you so much that's really nice of you to say and as always, if you dig what we're doing here, you know the drill. Hit the subscribe button, leave a review. It really does make a difference if you actually leave a review. And tell a friend about TPNR. Tell a friend and talk to somebody. Talk to your high school person about finding new voters and talk to your neighbor about something you disagree with and see if you can do it a little bit better. We are easy to recommend. It's politicsandreligion.us. It's www.politicsandreligion.us. Or you can find me online at Corey S. Nathan. That's Corey with an E. S is in Sam, C-O-R-E-Y, S is in Sam, Nathan at Corey S. Nathan. Now, go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week. Mm-hmm.